We have been talking every single evening service, it seems like, about sanctification, about living our life to God, living our life for God, what this looks like, how it applies to us, why it's important to live our life to God. Amen? I don't know if you guys know this, and I'm not one to, like, show you, like, results because I've just started exercising, but the only way to get into shape is to practice good, healthy things. You exercise, you eat right, and it's not just I exercised once a week or I ate right once this week, okay? It's a consistent effort that's been put into it amen and we want these christian lives and we want to glorify god and we want god to be glorified in our life yet we don't want to do the things that are necessary in our christian walk to get us in shape right paul says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling right he says uh, uh, we're to run our race. We're to keep the faith. How do we do all these things? By doing what we see in Scripture. Not just once a week, i.e. Sunday morning, right? But every day of our Christian life. I can tell you that when I first got diagnosed with diabetes, that I was consistently eating right. And I was walking every day. And I was making sure I was doing the things that were necessary to keep my blood sugar down. Okay? And you have to keep doing that to keep your blood sugar down. You want sin to be mortified in your life? It's not going to happen by once a week making a decision that day to wage war against your flesh, to wage war against the devil, to wage war against the world, right? And you, you do it that one day, and then the other six days of the week, you're just like, eh. What happens? The next Sunday, you're in the same boat and you're still going, God, I want you to finish this work in me. God, why is it taking so long? What's going on? The thing is, you got to put in practice the things that we see in Scripture. And when, when you understand that the word disciple means someone who's learning from their rabbi, okay? It's a, 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 a someone who learns a practice from someone else, right? Learns a behavior, learns a faith, learns. Jesus said that we're to go make disciples, not converts. Let that sink in. All you do at convert or when you convert somebody is they have come to believe in Jesus Christ. So the modern church just gets them to say yes to Jesus, but doesn't do anything else with them. Discipleship is not just getting someone converted. Discipleship is teaching them 
how to live how Christ told us to live. Discipleship is modeling so far as you're able and looking at the word where it's perfectly modeled as your measuring stick of where to go. The word of God is the measuring stick, right? So every time I look at the word of God and I see an error, I see a fault, I see a sin that does so easily beset me. I must do what the word of God says to be able to overcome that and to then look more and more like Christ. Who's the rabbi I am discipled to? Amen? I am Christ's disciple. And if I am, my goal should be to live like my teacher lived. Amen? Je the, uh, Paul said, anyone who wants to live like Christ must do the things that Christ did or walk as he did, the King James says. We're to walk as he walked. To live as he lived. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because we're going we're gonna to touch on four subjects tonight as we go through this. But we're in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If I get out of 2 Thessalonians, I could get to my text. There we go. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he's not exhorting him in his own authority. Who's he exhorting him by the Lord Jesus Christ? Right? Not in his app. Oh, I'm the Apostle Paul, so you got to listen to me. He's not even doing that. He's saying, I exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ that ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God. So ye would abound more and more. Now, how many of us want to abound more and more we like that we like the sound of that right we want abound more and more man i like the sound of that i want to abound more and more and see every christian deep down they want to abound more and more but they don't want to do the things that are about to follow this okay they don't want this whole sanctification and possessing my own body possessing my own vessel with sanctification they don't want all that they just want the abounding more and more, and they think this is going to happen by one exercise a week on Sunday morning. I can look at me. Look, I'll get into where the camera can see me. This is what working at once a week looks like. Oh, man, I can't do it. Once a week doesn't get you anywhere, right? You have to be consistent. It's, this must be a lifestyle. Oh, pastor, are you saying I have to live godly and holy every day? Yes. That's what the Bible says. The Bible gives no other option for the Christian to kind of 
half-heartedly live this day, but then this day, that's when you really press in. It's either all day, every day, or not at all. That's what the life in Christ looks like. It's either you're all in or you're not. Amen? Now, let's keep reading. For ye know what commandments we have gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how did they give them the commandments? By the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, he didn't give them his own commands. He didn't give them his own opinion. He didn't give them, he gave them the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now watch this. Everybody hold your hand up if that's saved, okay? For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Now I want to break this verse down. He said, this is the will of God. Now notice, every time in John where we come up to a verse that says this is the will of God, I tell you this is very important, right? This is something that we need to mark. This is something that we need to note, right? Like John 6, 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that anyone who looks at his son and believes shall have eternal life, right? Why is that important? Because Jesus is telling you emphatically what God's will is, right? I challenge you that Paul is telling you right here emphatically the will of God for you as a born-again believer is that you are sanctified, set apart, made holy unto God. That's his will for every believer. Not just me, not just the pastor, not just the elder, but every single person who believes in Christ. God, his will, is your sanctification. Now I want to I challenge you with this thought because this is the thought that goes around many, many, many Christian circles is well, you know, all of us are in a different place in our Christian walk. That's a true statement. But what's not true about that is this. Most people, when they say that, are saying it because they have no real desire to do the thing that you're saying they shouldn't do. And their intention in saying that is so that they can continue doing the sinful thing that they're doing that you're challenging them not to do. And I'm sorry, God's will is not for you to keep doing that sinful thing ever. And to make an excuse as if, oh, well, God's leaving me in this sin. That's not what this means. Amen? God is not the author of sin. God does not tempt anyone with sin. God can't be tempted with sin and neither tempteth he any man. That's what the Bible says. So if God is not tempted by sin and does not tempt others with sin, and God is not the author of sin, then we can't in our good conscience as Christians make sanctification an excuse to remain in sin. Sanctification is not an excuse to remain in sin. Yes, God is sanctifying you. Yes, God is wholly in charge of sanctification. 
But guess what? Paul doesn't ever put the onus on God. He says, you abstain. You fight. You mortify the deeds of the flesh. You. Why? Because the onus is this. I've been bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the point of this is, when you say, well, everybody's in a different place in our walk of sanctification, just stop saying it. That's true to a degree. But what you're saying when you say that is, God's okay with me staying in sin, and I'm just not where you're at yet. And, you know, God's probably not happy with something about you either. So you just leave me alone because God wants me right here. And that's a false statement. God never, ever, 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 ever wills for you to remain in sin. Jesus Christ came to die to set you free from sin. How are we who are dead to sin going to live any longer therein? So God's will is your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. And every one of you should know how. Watch this. This verse is not divorced from the previous verse. This verse, in context with the verse before it, means that this too is God's will for you. That every one of you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and in honor. God's will is that you know how to possess your own vessel, your own body. Amen? What's one of the fruits of the Spirit? Self-control. Amen? Why? Because I've been born again. Where I was once out of control, where I was once lawless and a lawbreaker and totally an enemy of God, now I have been brought in to God's family. I have been given a new heart a new desire, a new will. And my expectations of me have now changed to where God set the expectation now that I'm going to live unto him, that I'm going to deny my flesh, that I am realizing that I know how to possess my own vessel. So it's not a mystery. God's not left this a mystery for you to just wander around. People act as if sanctification is this thing that have they have no roadmaps. Like, Pastor, we don't have a roadmap that tells us how to possess our own our own vessel. Like, what's the whole New Testament about then? Like, what's every warning, every admonition, every exhortation that Paul gives through all of his books on how to live unto God? All of that's meaningless? Or is that the roadmap that we should be following? Amen? Now, I'm going to stay uh, kind of in Thessalonians uh, for a minute, but 
We're going to go to Romans 6 here in a minute. We're going to look at a few things. But we're going to finish this. Verse 4, every one of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lust of conspicuency, even as the Gentiles which know not God. I would underline that for you and wrap, that, wrap your mind around it, that we're not to live like people who don't know God. Amen? Verse 6, and no man may go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified for God has not called you unto uncleanness but unto holiness so this whole section is God's will for you God's will is your sanctification. God's will is that you live holy. Amen? So what does this war look like? And what does it look like to fight this war? I want to go and look at Galatians 6, or Romans 6, excuse me, not Galatians. Romans chapter 6. And I may read the whole thing, uh, pretty quickly because there's a lot there but I want to start at verse 1 what shall we say shall we continue in sin that grace may abound God forbid how shall we everybody hold your hand back up we're all saved right so if you're saved this is we okay this is us this is you how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, he's asking a rhetorical question. This is not, hey, how can those people who are dead really live in their sin anymore? As if this should be possible. He's not telling you that it should be possible. He's trying to tell you that this is absolutely a rhetorical question that he's Fixing the answer for you. Okay? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. So here we are. We're dead. What does it mean to be dead? When I'm dead, I'm no longer held in judgment of the law because the law only has sway over someone when they're alive. Once they're dead, they're dead to the law because the debt has been paid. How can we uh, uh, know ye not that so many of us who baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, now remember what the therefore is there for? When you see a therefore, you got to go back and look and see what it was there for. So what did he just get through saying? How? How can we who were dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like Christ, uh, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, 
Some people say, well, this is like speaking of a future thing. But I challenge you to look at what he says after this, okay? Not just uh, uh, raised up with Christ from the dead by the glory of the Father, but even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, he's saying something about it seems like some future resurrection, which he probably has in mind, right? But the context of this chapter is not about a future resurrection. It's about a resurrection to new life, which is what the last verse just said, right? That we to walk in newness of life. Okay, two verses before that, my bad. N knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, everybody hold your hand back up. You're in Christ, and you've been buried with Christ in death, right? Isn't that what it just said? So we who are dead are free from sin. In other words, we're no longer held captive only and always to sin's sway. Now watch this. Verse 8. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Now this part people emphatically say, see, we shall also shall also live with him. Like in the future we will, pastor. It's talking about the future. Is it? Let's keep reading. Knowing that Christ be raised from the dead, he dieth no more. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died one, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now, all of this was working its way right here to verse 11. Christ is dead to sin. And now he's alive and he lives unto God, okay? And then he says, likewise, or in this same way, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey in uh, obey it in the lust thereof neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin but yield your mem uh, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness Unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? And he asks the question again. Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves to obey, his servant ye are to whom you obey. Whether, to, uh, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked 
that ye were the servants of sin, but now ye have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being made free from sin, ye have become the servants of righteousness. He ends this chapter with these last five verses that are very important. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness, uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants unto righteousness unto holiness, uh, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, ye were free of righteousness. What fruit had ye in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin, you have become servants to God. Ye have your fruit in unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And even in this chapter, what this waging of this war is, is several things. Number one, we're to reckon ourselves dead. Dead to what? Dead to sin. Okay, where's sin at? The world, the flesh, the devil. The things we're supposed to be waging war against, right? So we're to reckon ourselves dead to those things. What does that reckoning mean? Can we go back to Colossians and remember where he says? Go to Colossians 3, okay? Just hold your finger there uh, in Romans for just a second. Colossians 3 verse 1 he says if ye then been raised with Christ right isn't that what it says if then ye have been raised with Christ so now we're talking about the same thing right because Romans 6 is talking about being dead to sin and alive unto God we died with Christ and we've been risen to, with Christ in new, into new life correct so now he's saying if ye then be risen with Christ so if we're risen with Christ, we know certainly that we have died with him, right? If ye then been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affections, set your mind, reckon yourself dead. Set your mind, set your affections, set your soul on the fact that you are dead to sin, but alive to God. Have an absolute hatred for sin. Why? Because it separated you from God. It costs you uh, a relationship with God, and it costs the Lord Jesus Christ his life to purchase you back. That's why you should hate sin. The Bible says that I'm to hate even the garment stained by the flesh. Right? You've got to set your mind to that. Why do I have to set my mind to that? Because your mind still loves it. And until you put into practice reading God's word and looking at sin the way God looks at sin looking at your behavior the way God looks at your behavior, looking at the way you think about things and how it's so vastly different from how God looks and thinks about things. Our goal should, my thoughts 
should be that. My actions should be what he says. My thoughts should be what he thinks. My life should be how he lived. Right? I should not have my own opinion about sin. I should have God's words uh, and his opinion about sin. I should not have my own opinion about what the church looks like. I should have God's opinion about what the church looks like. I should not have my own opinion about what marriage looks like. I should have God's opinion of what marriage looks like. I should not have my own opinion about what parenting looks like. I should have God's opinion of what parenting looks like. Can I get an amen? I should not have my own opinion what it means to be a man or a woman. I should have God's opinion of what it means to be a man or a woman. And I don't mean this just about gender dysphoria, okay? I mean that about even how heterosexual people think about their self as a man and a woman. Even those things from the world are wrong. Okay? We need to have God's opinion what it looks like to be a godly husband, a godly father, a godly uh, uh, Christian. Amen? We should have God's opinion what it looks like to be a godly woman, a godly wife, a godly mother. Not my own. But God's, how do I do this? I set my affections. I set my mind. Put this mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Amen? So I had to have a transforming of my mind. Isn't there a verse about that? Romans 12.1. Let's go look at Romans 12.1 just for... Uh, context here he says I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So how do I get this renewing of my mind? Yes, God does it. But brother and sister, you must reckon it in yourself. You must Do you know what the word reckon means? It means to calculate. Consider. Okay? You need to calculate and consider. You need to reckon yourself. You need to set your mind, calculate your thoughts, calculate your intentions, calculate your uh, 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 affections, and place them on God and godly things. How do I think good thoughts? Whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is good report. If there's any praise, come on somebody. God's word should be what I focus my life on. How do I know that? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or sitteth in the way of sinners, or, stand, or standeth in the way of sinners, or sitteth in the seat of scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate both day and night. You want to be like a tree planted by rivers of living water, who bears its fruit in season, whose leaf doesn't wither, and whatsoever he does touches? You have to meditate on God's word. 
It has to become second nature. It has to become your nature. It has to become your thoughts. It has to become your goal. It has to become your aim. Amen? That's how we do these things. It's not by happenstance. Now, we're not left without any help. Turn right over to Romans 8. Right over to Romans 8. And we're going to read verse uh, 13. Because this, this, and I'm going to try to read just verse 13 because it's really hard in Romans 8. And we have went over Romans 8 over and over and over and over. Uh, I don't want to belabor Romans 8. But verse 13 says, For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, I want you to get this, but if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. Amen? If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So it's the Spirit who quickens us. It's the Spirit that enables us. Now, how many of us have the Spirit of God? Raise your hand, Christian. Because here's the thing. The Bible says that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. That means you can't even be saved. You're not part of His family. You're not born again. The Spirit of God dwells in every believer. Everyone who is born again has the Spirit of God and has no excuse not to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Period. And any failing and any uh, uh, misstep and any falling solely lies on you because the onus is put on you. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. Right? Colossians says that we're to mortify we are to mortify these things. Why? Because God has not come down here and just, did God come down here and, and pray for you this morning? Or did you have to do that? Did God come down here this morning and, 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 and physically pick up a Bible and put it in your hand and open the page? Or did you do this? Certainly, we are doing it. Certainly, born-again people have the capacity to choose good things. Because that's what we were given when we were born again. The heart that was stony and didn't listen to God and couldn't listen to God and didn't follow God and wouldn't follow God. Now we got a new heart. It's able to cry out, Abba, Father. Amen? Now watch this. Turn with me to, uh, is it First, first Thessalonians? We're going to go back to First Thessalonians real quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're, so we're going to just skip back one chapter from where we were. Uh, and, and I told you we were going to stay in uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians. Now, I could read the whole thing, and I may very well do that, but I want to read verse 
23 just for context of what we're talking about. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Now it's not the word holy like it's holy. It's W-H-O-L-L-Y. Completely. Amen. Does the ES verse 23, chapter 5, verse 23, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or completely. I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord. And notice verse 24. Faithful is he who called you who will also do it. God has not left you alone in your walk of sanctification. So we know three things from tonight. God's will is my sanctification. God has not left me alone as to what this walk of sanctification looks like. It's not a mystery. God has not left me alone in this walk of sanctification. It's his will. He's not left me without a guide, and he's not left me alone in the walk of sanctification. Now watch this. You want a guideline? And we're going we're gonna to stay right here in Thessalonians. You want a guideline to what it looks like to wage war against the flesh? You want a guideline to say, okay, well, what does it look like to live holy? And what does it look like to live a, a, a godly life? Right here at the end of 1 Thessalonians, before verse 23, you have a whole selection of things that are said very succinctly, very precisely that Paul leaves the Thessalonians. Watch this. See that none of you renders evil for evil unto any man, but every, uh, but every follow that which is good, both among yourselves and unto all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you, holy and I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who called you, who also will do it. Period. End of story. Mystery solved. Roadmap found. Here you go. We're not left alone when it con concerns sanctification. And we're not left alone concerning what it looks like to live a sanctified life. Amen? Now, are we always going to be perfect in this? Chances are, no. <laughs> Amen? But God's will is not for us to falter. His will is for us to succeed. His will is that we are sanctified. That's His will, that we are sanctified. Now, I want to leave you with a couple verses here. Turn with me, if you would, to Philemon, or no, Philippians, excuse me, Philippians 3. I'm going to read a few verses.
verses here and see if you can gather a theme, okay? Philippians 3, 17. Brethren, be followers of me, to, uh, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have, uh, excuse me, brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. You have us for an example. Who's us? Those apostles that are giving dictates to the church, right? So follow our example, okay? Turn with me just to the next page, to Philippians 4, verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto our God and Father be glory forever and ever. I think I wrote down the wrong verse. 19. Maybe I mean 9. It's 9. Look at 9. That didn't, that, that didn't sound right when I read it. Verse 9, Philippians 4, 9, not 19. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, what does it say to do? Practice them. Do them, right? And the God of peace shall be with you. What was the God of peace in the last 1 Thessalonians 5, right? The God of peace sanctify you holy. Right? Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. And I'm going to try to find the right verse before I tell you. <laughs> verse 7. This is Paul's admonition to Titus. Verse 7. In all things show thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of a contrary part might be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Period. End of story. Show yourself a pattern. How do I do that? By following the example of the apostles. By following the example of Christ. By following the example that we have in the New Testament. Paul saying, what you have seen and heard and been taught, learned from me. Do those things. In other words, all this time that I've spent pinning out what it looks like to follow Christ. Do those things. That's the roadmap. That's the line. That's the... The, the measuring stick, that's the plumb line. If you do these things, you're going to grow. You're going to walk. You're going to please God. How did he start out? First uh, Thessalonians 4, I wrote unto you these things, how you ought to walk and so please God. Right? Know what he said? It's pleasing to God that we run after sanctification. Why? Because it's his will. He's given us a road map and he's not left us alone. The Spirit gives us the only ability we possess. Because we possess nothing in ourselves. 
to wage war against sin and to mortify the deeds of the flesh. It is only through God's spirit. He did not leave you alone in this work. Amen? That's the good news. Amen? Shouldn't sanctification be just as much good, uh, good news as salvation when you understand that God is the one working in you and willing in you to do according to his good pleasure? Shouldn't you as a Christian, when you do sin, say, oh, Lord, I have sinned against heaven and you. I should run to the altar, go to my bedroom, fall on my knees and say, oh, God, I have wronged you. But I thank you that if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. And I thank you that you've given me your spirit that I can overcome. Amen? You don't give up. You get back up. You don't stop. You keep pressing forward. Amen? But you have to set your mind to that. You have to determine in yourself that I'm going to fight. The problem with Christianity today is nobody even thinks they have to fight. Therefore, they don't fight sin. They don't war against the flesh. They just live in it. And that's dangerous ground. For it either proves one of two things. Either they really don't know the Lord or they are very much in trouble as a believer. And they are not walking in God's will. Amen. I want to walk in God's will. I want to determine. I want to reckon myself dead to sin. I want to make I, I want to let not sin reign in my mortal body. I want to set my affections on things above. I want to mortify the deeds of the flesh. And for that, you have to set your mind to the fact that you got to fight. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for the Spirit of God that you have given us that 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 you have not left us alone in the walk of sanctification. You have not left it all up to us, God. You, you've not given us the reins and walked off, God, but you have willed in us to be sanctified. You are working in us to be sanctified, and you call all of us to follow you in the work of sanctification. Lord, we thank you that your will is for us to learn how to possess our own vessel with sanctification and honor. Help us to do this. Help us to bring glory to Christ and may Christ be glorified in your church throughout all eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.